This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Well, welcome to Toronto Today. Jim Taddy with you for the next hour, TSN 1050. And uh, plenty of ground to cover. Steve Phillips will be on by at uh, 12.20 and, and also uh, James Myrtle at 1240 from The Athletic talking about the Leafs. So we're talking about the Leafs and Blue Jays. And before we get going, uh, let me pass this along. As you know, this show is called Toronto Today. It is um, filling some time until Leafs lunch returns, which will be before the start of the Leafs season. And we have some station news today. Uh, Andy Petrillo has decided to step out of Leafs lunch. We'll continue on another project she's working on and will be a contributor part-time uh, on TSN 1050 moving forward. Uh, there's a show she'll be doing, for example, on Overdrive Friday, September 4th, only in for Hazy B. Um, and uh, Andy uh, will still be part of TSN 1050, but not in Leafs Lunch, not on a regular basis. And you know, I'm just going to read something that our boss put out, and I'm going to try and paraphrase this, so I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but our boss, Jeff McDonald, told us via email earlier today, and, and we all concur with this, and we all knew this, um, as Andy joined the station, that she is the absolute best, and she has changed the sports talk radio landscape for the better. Um, and uh, she, you know, bottom line is uh, Andy's a network quality broadcaster. There, there's no arguing that. Um, and, and she has opened the door for others to follow her and give others confidence. Uh, you know, there's that old line of, of uh, you know, I don't see anybody who looks like me on the air or sounds like me. And, and Andy has certainly uh, answered that. And uh, just a quality person and a quality broadcaster. We will miss her on a daily basis but she will make her contribution on tsn 1050 then you'll see her on on network television and uh you know again missing her on a daily basis but pleased to have had the experience i think we're all better for it uh, and just a great broadcaster i i can't say that enough quality quality work from andy petrillo and uh, andy we wish you well so plenty of things sports wise to talk about last night was it was sort of scaled down from the weekend, but still, I found myself going back and forth, and eventually broke down and did the double screen thing. Uh, I have an old um, iPhone that I use as uh, something to watch, so it's a secondary viewing. I have the iPad as well, but I, I use that for other things. Like I'm, I'm on it while I'm watching other things. So, bottom line is, you don't care how I watch it. There were there were multiple screens here, and I went back and forth. The primary screen started out as a Jays go to Monday Night Football first half. There was a dud. Uh, come back to the Jays, uh, and uh, wow! I mean, what else can you say about the blue? Jays eight to one. They win over Tampa. Now most people would go into that game thinking there's going to be some sort of cool out after the the barrage against Baltimore on the weekend. And as I'm watching, I see they strand three in the third, and I go, oh, so this is what's going to happen here. And and then peel off to the football game, come back and, and in progress watch the four spot uh, in the fourth inning for the Jays. And then of course the bats are alive. Uh, this is an interesting thing. It's like watching a hockey team because somebody does something and then everybody just piles on. I mean, you see the ripple effect. It's just, it's apparent that they they all have that sort of, I'm going to call it hockey chemistry. It's the best example I can think of where somebody scores a goal or makes a hit and then whew, the whole game changes. Well, for the Jays, it's usually a combo of the pitching and the bats. And so there's many angles to go at here. First, I'm going to go from the other side. Uh, McHugh got bounced after two and a third innings, and then Yarbrough comes on, and we're told how you know he hasn't had a great season but has owned the Blue Jays, and he coughed up seven runs in two and a third innings. So he was no mystery for the Jays. I mean, they absolutely assaulted him. And while that's going on, Manoa spinning a nice storyline, eight innings, one hit, 10 Ks. He uh, tosses 97 pitches, 62 of them are strikes, and Manoa, I mean, if you could get eight innings out of this guy 
uh, you know, think about what happens in the playoffs, and we'll deal with the, the Steve Phillips with this later on, that in a playoff game, you'd like six, you'd take seven. If you got eight, you are, you're buying this guy a new car. I mean, if that's going to happen on a regular basis, and, and this is an emerging story, I mean, what a break that would be uh, for the Blue Jays. Uh, and, and so that's one storyline. The other storyline is Vladdy. Career homer number 45 has the homer lead uh, and has the uh, average lead and in the RBI race a little off but within striking distance. And so there's another storyline where you've got this guy chasing the triple crown. Uh, you know, and, and so I was talking to Stephanie, our producer, earlier. I said, how weird. I mean, we had, we've had weird sports stories in the last while that you go, what? What did I just see? On Saturday, in the women's singles final at the U.S. Open, we had number 150 taking on 73, and 150, the qualifier wins. Uh, so here's the, the, the weird Jay story. I'm going to put it in my, my own language because I can be rather blunt. And so you've got a guy at the age of 22 chasing immortality that few people have, have done before. And I'm just going to try and find all these, uh, these stats that I have in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the, what he's accomplished. Um, and so for most homers in a season at the age of 22 or younger, Eddie Matthews in 1953 had 47. In 1937, Joe DiMaggio had 46. In 1970, Johnny Bench had 40, and Vlad comes in in 2021 at 45. I mean, look at that class. Eddie Matthews, Joe DiMaggio, and Johnny Bench. This is a guy, a pup, really, his first full season, chasing a triple crown. And and here are the two weird things about this storyline. So, dude chasing the triple crown. Great father, and now has hit more homers in a season than his father ever did, Vladdy Sr. ever did. What gets in his way? Well, he could win the triple crown. There's no question about that. But let's talk about the MVP race. Who gets in the way of this guy winning the MVP? It's Babe Ruth plus. Unbelievable story. Otani pitching and hitting could be the MVP for, for obvious reasons. I mean, it's, it's like you did a, a composite on, on, on all the attributes Babe Ruth had and, and slammed him in the one season. Is that off the charts? Yeah. Now, here's another story, and you may disagree with me. But if I asked you who was the MVP on the Blue Jays, what would your answer be? That's a tough one. That That's more difficult than the league MVP. I mean, obviously, I think you would go with Flatty, but then as soon as you say that, then, well, what about, and then seven names come out. I mean, I, I think he would be the MVP in the Jays, but, but that would almost be a disservice to the rest of the roster. This this is an intriguing story. You look at it and you go, oh, my God, what do we have here? And then you can't take your eyes off it. Uh, you know, there's still plenty of time left. But let me put it to you this way. If they were able to handle the Rays this week, and handle the raise again next week. What are we talking about here? I know the gap. I'm not talking. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But, you know, we could be talking about a challenge for the division lead. Now that's that's blue sky stuff. But this just in: where we are now was more than blue sky two weeks ago, wasn't it? Come on, this team was a question mark before this latest run, and now all of a sudden, if you're going to win all these ball games and destroy. And I mean destroy with capital letters your opposition. Well, you've changed the narrative. And this is this is a narrative that could go either way. It could go on the same way it is. It could go in a different direction, positively or negatively. But I think, you know, the bottom line I think that you want from your favorite team is just give us what you have and we'll accept it. This team is, I don't want to say emptying the tank, because I think the impression when you watch the Jays is there's much more left in the tank. 
you want to see how far this plane will fly. This, this is uh, really fascinating stuff. So that's the Blue Jay story, and Steve Phillips will help us put that in perspective. Um, and by the way, uh, you know, there's some, some clips here to, to sort of back it up. The manager Montoyo on, on Vladdy's home run last night, which was, I mean, you could hang clothes on it. It, it was just like a complete line drive over the left field wall. It's left the bat. It's like, look at that thing go. I mean, the, the, it would have gotten a speeding ticket if there was photo radar out there. So here's the manager Montoya on Vladdy's home run. Thinking he was going to hit the wall. There's no way that ball's going out. And then when he went out, I go, oh, my God. I've never seen – I keep I could keep using the same line. <laughs> That's unbelievable what I just saw. That thing, I don't know how hard it was, but uh, that was that was fun to watch. And it was, I believe it was 97, the pitch was 97, like, in. So that, that, that yeah, not many people can do that. That may have been the fastest home run in Major League Baseball history. It got out of there real quick, I'll tell you that. Uh, one of the other questions I think that you would ask yourself, and I know I do all the time when I'm, when I'm covering these things, is what the heck am I looking at? I, I, I need perspective. We're going to ask Steve Phillips this because this guy spent his life in baseball. What exactly are we watching here? Buster Olney uh, saying that the Jays' offense is reminiscent of a couple of great uh, uh, other events this way in other sports. Yeah, they remind you, and I think I used this comparison with you before, of, you know, in the NFL, that, uh, that, that St. Louis Rams team that racked up a ton of yards with Marshall Falk and Kurt Warner. Like, the question is, can you keep up with an offensive juggernaut like that? They remind you of the Golden State Warriors, you know, where you feel like, boy, if that team shoots threes, how are we going to keep up? That's what the, the Toronto offense is right now. You know, that's how they can bash teams. Um, it, it's been fun in the last week to watch the game and to see pitchers try to work through that lineup because it's so deep uh, and because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the middle of it is so good. You know, right now you can make an argument that he's the best offensive player in baseball. His at-bats are extraordinary. He's not expanding the strike zone. He's making pitchers come to him, and if they don't, Guess what? It just creates more opportunities for other people. They are passing the baton so well within that lineup. Um, and, and yeah, they, are they a perfect team? No. I, everyone will be watching the bullpen in the uh, in the postseason. You mentioned the wild card game. We've seen great teams taken down in a one game scenario where something crazy happens early on, and they're probably going to have to get through that. But if they get in and pass the wild card, uh, that. That will be a team that nobody in the American League likes to face. Well, they're already in that spot, right? Nobody wants to face them now, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. Buster only for first up on TSN 1050 earlier today. Uh, just before we break, I want to go over that Monday Night Football game, which was a sleeper until, uh, and it was reminiscent to the opening game of Cowboys and Bucks on Thursday night. Late field goal uh, gives... Uh, the lead to Baltimore, uh, seconds left, and then the Raiders go down the field and tie the game. Then we go to overtime, and the Raiders have first possession, a touchdown in overtime, and the NFL wins. And so they think they have a touchdown. Knee goes down early, so it's on the one-yard line. A couple of plays later, they toss the weirdest interception of all time, goes off a helmet and right into a Ravens player's hands, and then they march downfield. It looks like they're setting up something, and then... Uh, the quarterback, Jackson, fumbles the ball, and then the Raiders mess around, and they get called for a time count violation, and so it takes them sort of out of field goal range, and then they're, they're mucking around, and everybody's thinking, oh, they want those, they want those yards back from the penalty, and guess what? Bomb. 
bomb for the game-winning touchdown. Nobody on the receiver. And the Raiders fans in their first ever game at Allegiant Stadium go berserk. They'd already celebrated the win on the apparent touchdown in the first plays, first series of overtime, and then they got to do it again. My goodness, that was something, 33-27. And then there was the, the Manning brothers on TSN3. Don't know if you caught this, where they were reacting to the game. And, and you know, really, I, I didn't realize it was there. I saw the highlights on SportsCenter this morning. Uh, so this is a, a, a regular feature, Monday Night Football with Peyton and, and Eli. I thought it was fantastic. And, and you know, here's the thing, the, the frustrating thing for, for all of us, and that includes you listening and watching and us broadcasting, is you would still like to be able to be included or understand exactly what's happening on the playing field now i've said in the past for the nhl i'd like mics or the uh, the referees mics to be hot and i know that there's a lot of swearing that goes on and that's really not conducive to broadcast standards but anything that tells me the currency of the play that's developing right in front of our eyes so you can understand it more and and it takes you into the game these guys did that i thought this was groundbreaking stuff and and hopefully there's there's more to come like as they said on first up this morning i can't wait until hazy b o-dog and noodles do a leafs game oh fantastic coming up next steve phillips to help us i guess give us perspective on where the heck the jays are going what a fascinating run this is toronto today on tsn 1050 live in your radio live streaming podcasting and on demand on apple carplay and android auto through the iheart radio canada app now back to toronto today you think it's an opportunity to make a statement? Yeah, 100%. It's a huge series right here. Um, you know, so got to get as many as we can and keep it going, and then we'll see them again down in Tampa. That is Alex Manoa uh, asked if it was an opportunity last night and in this series against Tampa, and absolutely it is. Of course it is. Yes guy, right? Yes guy to that. It's an opportunity, all right, and, and you hope that uh, the Jays can take advantage of this. Uh, so they continue on against the Rays tonight. And it'll be Barrios going for Toronto tomorrow. It's an afternoon game, 307. Robbie Ray goes for the Jays. Nice rotation. And then Friday, Minnesota comes in for, let's do the math here, three games. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it looks like Ryu, Mats, and Manoa again Sunday afternoon to, to close it out. So we're trying to figure out exactly what we have here. It's very exciting to watch. Let's bring in Steve Phillips, former MLB GM and TSN baseball analyst. Steve, welcome. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. Our pleasure to have you. Looking for a perspective here. I mean, this this run, uh, the, the month of September, absolutely stunning for the Jays. Great to watch. Does it remind you of anything you've seen in baseball in the past? You know, it reminds me of the run that the Colorado Rockies went on. I want to say it was 2007 uh, and uh, or 2008. And uh, they won 21 out of 22 to get to the playoffs. To Then they sweep the division series. They sweep the LCS, and then they have to wait seven days to play the Red Sox in the World Series, and they lost all their mojo at that point. And so, you know, that idea of continuing to just play and holding on to that momentum uh, can really have a benefit, and certainly the Blue Jays are feeling that right now. I mean, it was 12 out of 13 and and 15 out of 17, and, and the offense is hitting on all cylinders, and you know they're getting starting pitching, and if they don't, they're going to outslug the the runs they give up, and uh, it really is remarkable. But you know we've seen the Oakland A's go on you know these kind of runs before. We've seen uh, the the Rockies do it, and uh, look, the Yankees won 13 straight uh, earlier this year, 
And that's the tale, right, to the, the lesson to be learned. As the Yankees won 13 straight, and I think they're like 3-13 and 13 since then. Uh, and so yeah. it's about consistency and uh, you know, ha- having all aspects of your game rolling. And where I think the Jays have a distinct advantage and difference to the Yankees is the Blue Jays actually have pretty good starting pitching right now where the Yankees really don't. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I'm just, you know, trying to find out uh, subtle differences. Um, and, and this team, obviously, you know, you would describe it as they like each other. They they play for each other. In fact, when when somebody does something, you see the next man up, or or you know, the next defensive play is is sort of uh, you know a compliment to what's already happened. How unique is that? Oh, it's extremely like I, that's one of the things that I pointed to over the weekend on this team is the camaraderie that you you feel when you watch them, like. They seriously root for each other, and it's not just I'm, I'm going to hug you because you scored a run and we're on the same team, but they really like each other. I mean, they celebrate each other's success. I mean, when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits a home run and Boba Shett's driven in, he's waiting at the plate to give him a bear hug. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is outside the dugout rooting base runners on, waving them around third himself and celebrating when they score. And, and when your stars are that engaged with everybody else, in the 22-7 to 7 game, when they take some of the stars out of the game and they stay in the dugout and root for the other guys, the, the extra guys that get at bats, get hits, get you know, drive-in runs, it really does speak that there's a connection from the first player on the team to the 28th player on the team right now, and that is, that is very unique. Let's talk about Vladdy. I mean, I think it was three or four weeks ago there were some people that were worried about, you know, the first full season if he'd hit uh, sort of an emotional or physical brick wall with his play. Well, he smashed through it. I mean, he's on a, he's on a tear here. He's in company with, with Joe DiMaggio and Eddie Matthews for, for his age group. Uh, could win the Triple Crown. Could win the MVP. Um, certainly much better than we could have predicted. Uh, is there a comparable for him? Well, you know, I mean, you start thinking about uh, Miguel Cabrera as a young hitter and Pujols as a young hitter, and and uh, you know, you know, they they walked. I mean, Pujols certainly walked a little bit more than Vlad does, but I mean, you're, we're talking about the elite hitters in the game at 22 years old. And you know, what happened in August was the entire offense went through a little thing, and that's the time of year where you start to play people a second time, a third time, and the advanced scouting. Is, is indicating that this is what you should do to this. And then it's up to the team to make an adjustment. And, and we saw them do that. They, they were behind the fastball, in front of the breaking ball. And the thing that they've done is they've gotten back timing-wise on the fastball. Uh, and they hunt fastballs during the course of the at-bat. Uh, and, uh, and that's what you're seeing right now, uh, the relentless and deep attack of this lineup uh, you know, I asked Buck Martinez uh, a question today, uh, and, uh, you know, it's interesting. I said, rank their hitters in order of, you know, who's the best hitter on their team. What, you know, and, and, you know, where do you rank everybody? Uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, you pro- we all probably would have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at the top, but do you do Simeon, Teoscar Hernandez, or, or Bichette, or Springer second? Then how do you line the other guys up? And, and now, right now, nobody's a better hitter than Lourdes Goriel Jr. I mean, he's hitting like 480 in the last week. He's hitting 430 in the last 15 days and 385 over the last month. Uh, and he's as hot as anybody right now. 
uh, and he might have the best hair. I mean, that's the whole other other competition. <laughs> Who's got the best hair? Is it is it Bichette? Is it Guriel? Or is it Vladdy? Like Vladdy's got the cool hair too. It's an interesting debate. There's a lot about this team to like for sure. Would make an interesting composite picture at the very least. But you touched on something that I find really uh, almost absurdly funny about this team is that you don't want to separate them. We're talking about Vladi as the MVP in the league, but I mean, you almost don't want to name who the MVP on the team is because as soon as you do that, six other names come at you. It's a bit of a problem in a nice way, isn't it? I mean, they have three players that have scored 100 runs. They have, uh, I mean, Teoscar Hernandez, if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. doesn't win the Triple Crown, it may be because Teoscar Hernandez leads the league in RBIs. I mean, he's right there with Vladdy. Uh, and, uh, you know, they just, uh, it's, it's a, a really deep lineup where if you get by one guy, uh, then the next one comes up. And, and honestly, having had four boys that went through, you know, youth baseball and high school baseball and summer baseball and legions and travel teams and all of that, I mean, the Blue Jays really feel like a travel team of guys who carry their bat bags with them, uh, and they, you know, they carry it out there. They've got the long hair. They got some swag to them, uh, but they just, you know, show up and play. And they'll stay in whatever hotel you put them up in and play in whatever field that they're going to play in. And then they'll go to the next tournament and they'll play in that one too. That's really what they feel like, and it's kind of like what the season has been like between, you know, Dunedin and Buffalo and Toronto and and the moving around and staying in hotels and like none of it seems to bother them because they're just playing for the love of the game right now. Nobody's, you know, look, Springer got the big contract. Simeon wants a big contract in free agency, but he plays because he loves the game. He plays, you know, with, with near perfection, uh, you know, with what he does. I mean, you know, in many ways, you know, Simeon reminds me of Derek Jeter in a lot of ways and that, you know, he doesn't always show you everything that he's feeling and experiencing. He'll say the right thing. He very rarely makes mistakes. That's why the one game where he made the throwing error at first base was so startling to me because he never makes that kind of mistake. But he always seems to have the quality at bat. He always seems to drive in the run. He can get on the leadoff an inning. He can hit a home run and drive in runs. He makes a defensive play. Uh, and there's just there are a lot of different personalities but they all feel like kids playing the game, and they're doing it for the passion and love of the game. That's why they're so fun to watch. Okay, I'm going to go down a road here to sort of counter our optimism. Uh, first of all, let's let's pretend that we're in the opposition dugout. Pick your team. So so let's say you're, you're in Tampa Bay's uh, dugout. When you're facing the Jays, how do you how do you deal with what they're doing? Yeah. So. Um, I think right now the way to play the Blue Jays is to say, let's keep it close and beat their bullpen. Uh, let's give ourselves a chance to win it late. Uh, now, because that's the way they've given up some runs. Now, what they've been able to do is on days that their bullpen has, has bent but not broken, their offense has come storming back. Their offense has given them margin for error. But I think that, that the key is do everything you can to keep the ball in the ballpark against them, right? Don't, don't give up the home run ball. That's their MO. They're leading all of baseball in home runs right now. Uh, and force them to lump hints together. And do not let the bottom of the order beat you. That's, you know, the one break you might get is, you know, not if it's Kirk, I don't think. And, you know, and, and look, McGuire and Jansen are both that good at bats at times too. But, you know, maybe if you get the, you know, whoever's playing third base, 
uh, on a given day, and whether it's Bravik or Espinal when he's back healthy and productive, uh, you know, can you get through seven, eight, nine? Don't let that beat you, and keep everybody else in the ballpark, and not think about putting up zeros in an inning because that's where you get in trouble. Just keep it in the park and be willing to give up one run, but don't give up the crooked number because you're trying to only give up one run, and then give yourself a chance late to beat their bullpen. Which, which is much better now than it was, but it's still a bit unproven. And if there's any part of their team that leaves me the element of doubt, it is that bullpen toward the back end of the game. Uh, is there actually anything that's underrated about this Blue Jays team? I think their starting pitching is underrated. I don't think people recognize they've got the best starting pitching ERA in the American League since the All-Star break. You know, the, the addition of Brios, really, and then what Steven Matz has done to get back on track after he went through a little bit of time in the middle of the season. And Manoa, I mean, the reality is you can make an argument that Hinjin Ryu is their number four starter. I mean, you could look at it like Robbie Ray, Manoa, uh, and Barrios, and then you could go Ryu, who's, who's had a couple tough outings, you know, and mixed in with, with a really good one. Uh, it, the idea that the guy that they built their team out to start with is their number one starter, maybe their number four starter, I think is a significantly underrated portion of this team. And, and in a, a series, uh, their starting pitching can match up pretty well. Now, you know, they don't have maybe the pedigree of Lance Lynn and Rodon and Giolito and, and Keuchel, but those guys aren't that much better than the Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays pitchers can absolutely outpitch all of them on a given day. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that that's really where people think, well, yeah, but, you know, they're an offense-only team. That's not really the case because of the improvements and additions to that starting rotation. Okay, let's let's fast forward. I don't like to do this normally, but I just it, it sort of I think it puts everything in perspective. So let's go into a, a playoff series. Let's assume they get through the wild card and and they're in a, a playoff series. Let's say it's a, the, the the league championship series. You get six innings out of your starters on a regular basis. Uh, what happens next is a bit of a question mark, isn't it? A little bit, but, you know, I mean, Mays has done a nice job in the pen. Merriweather, I think, is going to start to emerge. And, and look, I really like Simber and Richards. Now, Richards will give up a run here and there. Simber is really a unique guy in that, you know, he could be your guy you bring in with runners on base to get the ground ball and the double play. Uh, you got Barucki coming back into the mix now, too. So, I mean, they have some mix-and-match options. And, you know, there's enough time left in the season for the bullpen, and, and look, Romano's, I think, saved 14 in a row, so he's really stabilized the ninth inning, and that really stabilizes everything in front of it. So they can do it. They just don't have the same recognition of pedigree. Like, Soria is not necessarily the answer I thought or hoped he would be for them. I think he's nice to have down there as a veteran guy, but I think Richards and Simber are better options from the right side. Uh, and they've got options from the left side with Meza and Barucki and, and uh, and so, you know, uh, look, I think they, they can handle the seventh, eighth, ninth. And remember, in the playoffs, uh, the way, with this format of only five teams getting in in each league, we're getting built-in off days, two games and then an off day, two games and an off day. And, and uh, you know, what it allows you to do is use your best relievers over and over again, knowing that you're a day away from a day of rest. Uh, and so um, – and they might put, you know, who knows what they'll do with their rotation in the playoffs and which of the starters, probably Matt's right now, I would assume, might be able to be a long guy in the bullpen as well uh, and be able to handle some big left-handed bats. 
Okay, let's let's circle uh, the Yankees in Boston. Obviously, the Yankees have struggled two and eight. They had that nice run you talked about in in a bottomed out, bottomed out since, and that's what baseball does. It evens things out. Boston four and six, uh, coming off a couple of losses and battling COVID, uh, now uh, tied with the Yankees in the final spot, out by a mere point zero zero one percentage point. Uh, how do you see these two teams tracking forward the rest of the way? Well, I think they're very similar, uh, and. Uh... You know, I think that the one thing about the Red Sox is their offense seems to be more consistent than the Yankee offense that can come and go. Now, there's more bombers, big bombers in that Yankee lineup than there are the Red Sox. But, you know, the Red Sox can put up a lot of crooked numbers on the scoreboard. Uh, I don't like either of their starting pitching. Now, Garrett Cole is the best of the starters between the two teams, but you know, he can't pitch every day. And here's the thing. We don't even know if he'll be able to pitch in a wild card game. I mean, the reality is that he may have to pitch on the last day of the regular season to secure the second wild card spot, which means he couldn't pitch in a wild card game. And so, and if that's the case, I don't like the Yankees. And, and by the same token, I don't really like the, the, the Boston Red Sox unless Chris Sale's lined up. And this is not the Chris Sale we know but the Chris Sale, who's coming back from Tommy John surgery, that it's so hard to predict each outing what his stuff is going to be like in consistency. So, uh, honestly, neither of those two teams scare me in a wild-card matchup. I mean, Cole would be a tough matchup, uh, but I honestly don't believe that he'll even be available because I think they're going to have to burn him in those last three games in order to even get to uh, be in that wild-card matchup. Is, is there any uh, part of your concern that would be uh, sort of focused on Seattle and or Oakland? Not really, but, I mean, look, Seattle has surprised me all year long. And um, I'm, I don't I mean, you, you look at them and think, how are they doing this? I mean, nobody's having really a career year. Kyle Seeger's a good player. Hanniger's having a really good year, bounce back, and really come back player of the year type stuff. Um, but... You know, he doesn't really strike fear in you, and he's not necessarily a big bomber at the plate, although he's, you know, he's having, what, 30 homers this year. Uh, but their pitching doesn't worry me that much, and their bullpen's good. they got some good arms, but they seem to me to be a team that you can score on early. And for Oakland, they're really struggling right now. They're, they're starting pitching has struggled. Um, you know, they're not the, – the, their young guys haven't taken that step forward this year on the mound. Montas has been pretty good, but the others not so much. Cole Irvin, I like some, but he's young and inexperienced. So uh, I don't like either of those teams like I like the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays are the best of the lot uh, and and even have a chance that if they get in uh, and they win the wild card game, that they still match up quite nicely in that first round against Tampa Bay, who they'll likely end up playing since they'll have the best record. Steve, let's close on this. Let, let's assume that Vladdy wins the Triple Crown. Is he your MVP? Well, you know, here's the thing. I don't think he's going to win the MVP. And uh, it would be, what, I think the fifth time that somebody has won the Triple Crown and not won the MVP. Uh, and it seems hard to believe. But, you know, for Shohei Otani, the, the, you know, the argument to be made for him isn't is is this, is he the best player this year? It's is is this the best season of the history of baseball? That those are the arguments that people are making for him, and I get it. I mean, listen, he's driven in ninety four runs, he's got forty four home runs, and he struck out over one hundred and twenty guys. I mean, he's you know, and and it's so unique and so different that I don't know that there's that anybody can separate enough with the offensive numbers from him 
to overcome the pitching numbers that he's been able to accumulate. So I honestly don't believe there's anything that Vlad Jr. is going to be able to do, even winning a triple crown, that will get him uh, the MVP award. And it's a shame. I mean, it's a crying shame uh, that at 22 he's putting up this season. But what Otani is doing is so unique that uh, I don't see baseball writers getting around that. Steve, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. That's Steve Phillips, former Mets general manager and TSN baseball analyst. So there you have it. I was correct. You've got uh, Vladdy, who's 22 years old, on, on his way to winning the Triple Crown. So we're just going to, we're making the assumption that that happens. And he's defeated not by Babe Ruth, but by a composite of Babe Ruth. Unbelievable. Is that an outlier or what? That is just absolutely. A 22-year-old kid could win a triple crown and a composite of all the attributes that Babe Ruth had over his entire career show up in one season uh, on Otan, uh, in, in the body form of Otani. And that's what, that's what gets in your way of winning a triple crown at the age of 22. I mean, you would be honored for that to happen, and yet at some point somewhat mystified. But there we are. The Jays story is just endless in terms of positives as we sit right now with the Jays uh, with a one-game lead in the wild-card race over the Yankees and Boston. The numbers are startling. You know, First of all, tip of the, the hat to Manoa, who goes to 6-2, and two, eight innings, one hit. And by the way, the Jays out hit Tampa last night 17-2. to two. Uh, one hit, 10 Ks, and Manoa becomes the fastest Blue Jay to 100 strikeouts in team history. So that's what you're dealing with. There's a lot of team history that's being altered. And remember, we're talking about those great teams in the mid-'80s to leading into the back-to-back World Series team. I mean, that is, those are they're halcyon days for the Jays. There's no question about that. Uh, we're also talking about uh, the team batting 331, 36 homers in 13 games this month, plus 58 in runs scored uh, for the season, plus 174 in runs scored. I think you can appreciate that baseball is the great equalizer, so if you win 13 straight, odds are in the next 13 games you're going to struggle. That happens. The Yankees are living that. Uh, the Jays had that 9-2 and two welcome home stand and struggled a bit and then came out of it like somebody kicked them in the rear end, so they're, they're, they have rebooted nicely. Uh, 174 run differential, 28 for the Yankees, 51 for Boston, Seattle minus 56. I mean, this is just absolutely off the charts, and, and we enjoy every at-bat. I was going to say every second, but this is baseball. We enjoy every single at-bat. It's fun to watch. I, I just could keep going on and on, so we'll leave it at that. Uh, they take on the Rays again tonight, Barrios. Uh, going for the Jays. I just want to double-check that and uh, make sure that that's what we have. Yes, Barrios tonight, Ray tomorrow, and uh, Rio against Minnesota on Friday. They're off Thursday. Important to note that. So, And the Wednesday game is an afternoon game. Coming up next, we're going to talk hockey with James Myrtle from The Athletic. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050 Live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy with you till 1, and Matt Cause takes over with gameplay, and they're going to deal with some hockey. So Tyler Bozak signed on with the Blues for one year in 750K. Uh, that is the latest from the world of hockey. And, of course, James Myrtle from The Athletic, the headband there, will plug us into the Leaf story. James, how are you today? I'm good, Taddy. How's it going? 
Uh, let me check. Everything's okay. Everything. Yeah, just uh, just updating. Everything is now okay. <laughs> uh, you, you just did recently the the Maple Leaf uh, fan survey. Uh, tell us. Uh, just give us sort of an overview of that. And we'll just sort of pick through various categories. What was your impression from the results? Uh, yeah. So we we take thirty questions. We ask our readers, and uh, we got more than five thousand responses. And uh, people just answer various questions in terms of. Their confidence in GM Kyle Dubas, the head coach, Brendan Shanahan, uh, which of the offseason additions they like the best or like the least, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it's, it's a fun thing we do every year, and the results can tend to be pretty interesting. And, you know, what actually surprised me the most, Jim, is that there was, there was more optimism and I think more positivity than I was expecting. The numbers were down from previous years when we've done these surveys, but uh, the Leafs fans, at least, you know, on our side, were saying that, you know, they still have a level of confidence in Kyle Dubas. They still have a level of confidence in Sheldon Keefe, and they still think that this is a pretty good team. And the, probably the funniest answer that we got was we asked, you know, what's, what's the biggest thing standing between the Leafs and the Stanley Cup? And 54% of Leafs fans said, because they're the Leafs. And that was, that was the answer as opposed to anything wrong with the roster or management or anything. It was just because, you know, there's this curse or something over them. So, that was probably the uh, the most hilarious response that we got. Well, it, it is hilarious, but there, I mean, there is some truth to it. I mean, because a lot of the analysis, not from from you or I, but but from the fan base, is based on depending on the age group. But a lot of it goes back to you know the history lesson of 1967, and you know just plug in your your own generation, you know, and and you sort of pick it up from there. But some go back to 1967, some jump in in the 70s, some the 80s, some the early 90s. But there is some truth to it, isn't there? You know, Jim, I've covered the team. I'm, I'm from BC originally. Uh, I moved to Toronto 20 years ago, so I wasn't really, you know, I, I didn't know the full history and all that. And I started covering the team 14 years ago, and I never really bought into the idea of the curse or anything like that. But watching the playoffs this year, they come in as the top-ranked team. They're heavily favored over Montreal. John Tavares goes down in, like, his second shift of the series. Jake Muzzin gets hurt in Game 6. Everything kind of unravels for them. And it's like you watch it again, happen again and again and again. And it's like <laughs> part of me was thinking, like, maybe there is something in, in the water or something going on, because to, just to have watched it for 14 years now up close, um, it's, it's really strange how the same kind of things keep happening to the team over and over and over again. Yeah, sure. Uh, certainly. I mean, certainly the, the recent memory would tell you that somebody finds the off switch and when it's hit, there's just no coming back from that, is there? It's just like I remember writing about the Leafs collapsing all the time back in like the Brian Burke era. Like, Remember he was talking about the 18 wheeler going off the cliff yeah. and all that. I mean, that's that's 12, 13 years ago. It's ancient history. And then to still be talking about the team collapsing now. There's nobody that's the same on the roster. You know, know. it's completely different players, a completely different coach, completely different. No, there's nothing that's the same from back then. The only thing that's the same is like this narrative about about the team coming up short in in big moments. And you know, it it, it feels like there's even more of a burden on on the franchise, on the players that are here now, even though they don't have anything to do with that history, just because of of what went on before they got here. Yeah, well, in, in in that respect, I mean, people like Matthews and Marner, who have individual achievement, can understand that that you know that while the individual achievement is applauded, the the team effort or, or not effort, but the the team result is is certainly lacking. And I think they're they're getting a crash course in that, aren't they? 
Yeah. And, you know, Matthews and Marner met with the media, including uh, some of our staff yesterday. And, you know, a lot of the questions they got were about that. And, you know, Matthew said, you know, I'm, I'm 23 years old. Like, you know, this, this isn't like the last chance for me here. This isn't like, but just the, the way that the market talks sometimes is just like the, the, the desperation level, I think, is is higher. And when you come into a market like this from, like, let's say Austin Matthews is from Arizona, you know, it's, it's new to him. You know, he's learning about kind of that history. Whereas, you know, Mitch Marner said, you know, I followed this team my whole life. I knew what I was getting myself into when I was drafted here and then I'm ready for it. But um, I, I think that there, there is that weight of expectations. And I mean, there should be, I mean, they're, they're a good team. They should perform. They should, they should win a playoff round. And uh, that's going to be the narrative all year though, is, Going into that first round of the playoffs, do they get it done or not? Uh, take us. Let's go back to the the fan uh, survey. Take us back to some of the the hot button uh, topics. Like one of them would be the, the the most popular leaf. And as you go down that depth chart, it's kind of intriguing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean Austin Matthews ran away with the most popular current leaf. I, I don't I don't have the results right in front of me, Jim. You're putting me on the spot here a little bit, but <laughs> sorry, guy. You know, we we asked. Um, we also asked who people's uh, favorite leaf is of all time, and I was really surprised that we've done this in the past, and it's been the same answer. Matt Sundin finished way ahead of everybody else, and you know I think that part of that I think is that our audience is maybe a little bit younger, but um, you know you think of the most popular leafs of all time, you think people would talk about I don't know maybe there'd be a Sittler or a Keon or um, Gilmore or Wendell Clark, but it was Matt for our audience anyway. It was Matt Sundin with a, a huge percentage of the vote, and and Austin Matthews is coming on strong there too. So, you know, it'll be interesting that as we continue to do this, provided Austin Matthews you know stays with the Leafs for a long period of time, I think that for a lot of people he's going to end up taking over that top spot in in due time. Yeah, I, I don't want to be accused of leading the witness, but in your your current popular leaves, I, I saw that Nylander uh, jumped up, and and that sort of tells me that um, while there's concern about individual achievement, that that once the uh, the, the 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 player plays the way he's uh, supposed to, or or what the fan base feels, the fan base is very forgiving. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. You know, Nylander has gone from being kind of the whipping boy. You know, one of the questions we asked that some fans didn't like was, who's your least favorite Leaf? And there were not very many people picked Nylander, whereas I think you go back two years ago that that that, that answer was a lot different. So Nylander ended up finishing third in who's your favorite member of the team. Second was uh, Spezza behind Austin Matthews. Um, and then, you know, there were some votes for John Tavares, Jack Campbell, uh, Morgan Riley. Yeah, but... Um, you know, it's, I think that maybe some of the the heat on William Nylander changed. He had a he had a good season. He had a pretty good postseason, and uh, the narrative around him's changed a little bit. And a lot of the a lot of the negativity now seems to be focused on Mitch Marner. Uh, let's talk about uh, the uh, the off season additions. And you know, as I do that, I think we both agree that it's still on the Fab Four up front and the core players to get this done. Uh, having said that, maybe bringing in some new blood and and sort of the uh, the evolution that that should take place or could take place on certainly on the left side might be sort of inspirational to the rest of the roster or, or not. What's your read on what they've done? It's been interesting. I mean, they need to hit on some of these these additions, like you know, like Nick Ritchie, Michael Bunting, Andre Kasha. You know, if if they all kind of max out their potential and and are healthy, and in in the case of Kasha, um, 
I, there's a chance that the, this forward group could be better than last season. I mean, the, the big loss is going to be Zach Hyman, but can they replace him by bringing in three or four players that, that make their third and their fourth lines better? And is that going to add up to the team overall being the same or better than it was last year up front? It's possible. But, you know, I don't know what someone like, let's say, Michael Bunting, I don't know what he's going to be. He's played like 25 NHL games. You know, there, there's evidence to suggest that he might be really effective. He's been skating with John Tavares down at some of the informal skates um, that the Leafs players have been having at the practice facility. Um, Andre Kasha, I mean, he's had so many concussions. He's missed so many games the last couple of years. But he's a really, really good player when he played in Anaheim. I mean, he was a first or a second line winger. And if he can get healthy and, you know, I, I, I've, I've been told that, that he has been healthy, he has been skating for the last couple of months, um, that could be a big addition for them. But then Nick Ritchie, too. I mean, he's been a little bit of an, an enigmatic player, uh, bounced around a little bit, but a guy who was a high draft pick who brings some physicality and who it sounds like they might end up trying with playing with Matthews and Marner and bring a little bit of a different element than Zach Hyman did. And, you know, there's there's certainly some intrigue here in this forward group. That's where there's the most change on the roster. And whether or not they hit on those free agent signings or not is going to be a big part of, of this team taking a, a step back or a step forward this year. Uh, one more thought before we let you go. I mean, clearly when we're talking about um, those those players that you just mentioned, they're asked to do specific things. Uh, that's not for everybody. Uh, and maybe it's not for Mikheyev, who, you know, he has a specific role in this team, but but he seems to want to have a bigger role in, in more ice time, and uh, I don't see that happening, and, and has requested a trade. What do you make of that? I The way I read that is, you know, Mikheyev, I think felt like the last contract he took for two years was a bit, a little bit low. And, you know, he was really hoping that by the time he was going to hit free agency. So after this coming season, he was going to have some numbers behind him and he was going to be able to, to score big and unrestricted free agency. And, you know, if he doesn't produce more than he did last year, that's just not going to happen for him. You know, and you know, he's been building up to this potential payday and that's, that's where that comes from. And, you know, maybe on a lesser team, he would play a lot more. But, you know, I think he, you know, he did get some opportunity with John Tavares last year. He did get some opportunity in the top six. It sounds like the Leafs are going to accommodate him and give him a little bit more opportunity there. But at some point, you know, the results speak for themselves. And he hasn't been able to recapture the, the form that he had in that first half of his first season where it really did look like he was a top six winger and he really did look like he could produce some offense. We just haven't seen that in so long. And he's going to need to do that or... You know, maybe at some point he is going to be an odd man out for this team. James, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Jim. That's James Myrtle, head man at The Athletic, uh, going over the fan survey and, and uh, you know, other things. And, and I really like, you know, I, I'm going to say this right off the top. For the Leafs, I think they did what they could in the off season, uh, given their situation with the salary cap and the loss of Zach Hyman. Uh, but these are specific fits that they're asking these players to do. That's not for everybody. Uh, sometimes a player has to find his own way, and it's not the fit. So it, it's going to be an interesting transition that way. The McKayev thing, I just want to clarify, reports that he said he wanted to trade. So not confirmed, but reports. And and this is the problem when you get younger players um, that are trying to develop into who they think they are, and then you ask them to do a specific thing. Uh, not everybody is, is capable. I, I always think of Darcy Tucker, who was a great junior hockey player, had great offensive totals, and made the adjustment uh, to play as a secondary, but an important secondary role uh, with the Leafs. Uh, and he had to make that adjustment because he knew that that's how he could make his contribution. That's not everybody. So that's what the Leafs will find out. And, and I guess the biggest thing for the Leafs, for me going forward, is you did what you could in the offseason. 
If it doesn't work, need to see Plan B real fast. Um, this is not one of those situations where you're going to wait and see what happens at the trade deadline for me. And there's a number of situations uh, that could go, and, and all the way down to Morgan Riley. Uh, my advice would be: do not let the situation play the franchise. Have the franchise take control of the situation. You've done what you could. You added who you could. It all fits under the cap, and you're offering opportunity to a bunch of players. But if they don't respond, you have to move on. This is not a season that can be part of a growing process. This is a let's do it now, and it's because of the past that we talked about with James Myrtle, and it's because it's time for this team to step forward. Hope you enjoyed this edition of Toronto Today. Coming up next, Gameplay with Matt Cause. It airs every weekday, 1 to 4. Gives you the best sports betting and fantasy information. Matt Cause is next.